Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Uh, we are really getting into the business end of the season now. Um, we are on international break and yet there's still plenty to talk about for my top five stories of the week. Uh, mainly because I've had so much time out. <laughs> um, I'm keen to be able to find some stuff to talk about. So this episode may not be as long uh, as usual simply because we have no games to really break down. Um, but we will we'll go through our top five stories of the week uh, picked out by yours truly um, and we will talk about them, see what we've got coming forward um, and then also take a look at the uh, the Saints game before we finish up. Um, just a little bit of extra news. I am now on Facebook uh, at TogetherBHA on the username for Facebook um, and the same podcast title as everywhere else, Together a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Uh, so... Give me a like and a share with any Brighton groups you're part of uh, or anything like that. Um, really, my entire format of spreading this around has been Twitter um, since the beginning of time. And Facebook obviously has a lot of people on there that don't use Twitter. So thought it'd be a good idea to get on there as well. Um, however much I hate the bloody platform. Uh, so um, without further ado, let's get in with our top five stories of the week. Um, and some of them are scraping the barrel somewhat but and mainly with number five because i weren't sure what to put here but number five uh we finally got news on the end of year awards um in the past they've really been like pretty low-key affairs uh very much community based but we have uh steve sidwell uh albion legend coming back to host this year um and Lindsay hipgrave who is with she's a reporter with she with Five Live or she with Talk Sport? Um, she's BT Sports. Uh, so yeah, they're they're going to be coming along, um, and they're going to be really giving giving the entire st- like the entire award ceremony out. Um, obviously, Stevie won't be receiving any, um, but it'll be fun to uh, for, to have him back. Obviously, um, and obviously, it feels a little bit weird because it feels a little bit more big time now. I think um, it feels like it matters slightly more than the last couple of end of year awards. Um, and I suppose it's a product of the Albion stature in this day and age. Um, and although it's a small thing, um, you know, like Lindsay Hipgrave is somebody who's co-hosted a whole bunch of stuff uh, to do with football. Um, she's a presenter on BT Sport. She's a presenter on Five Live. I knew I'd heard her somewhere. Um, you know, she's, she's done the rounds on the sports and I think it's nice to have these people involved, uh, with the Albion at a smaller level. And I think it's just, I think it's, like I said, I think it's an indicator of how far we've come. And I think, although it seems like a weird thing to be proud of, I think we should be proud of it because, you know, these things are not just the small family events they used to be. These things are getting, uh, national coverage in terms of the people who are showing up for them and putting them on. So, I think that was pretty cool, and I wanted to put some time into that. So, if anybody is going, enjoy. Tell us how it is. Uh, I believe it's the end of April now. I think they put it back. Um, let me see what the official date is now, if they've got one. I'm sure they had one. I am sure they had one. Not that I can find it, though. Um, but, yeah, I believe it's the end of April. Let's hope we're safe by then before we all start patting each other on the back. <laughs> um, story number four. This one's a bit more of a big one. Uh, Barclays, uh, sponsor of the Premier League, they're putting £10 million into the Women's Super League, um, which is obviously 
part of what Brighton's new women's team are part of. Well, not new. They've been around for a while, but they're part of the uh, the team that have been with uh, Albion for a while. Um, it's the biggest ever investment in UK sports um, for women um, by a brand. And, you know, the fact that it was such a well-established brand that have their names stuck to the men's football mast um, says something about the way the way the way the women's game is growing whether you like it or not um whether it's an interest to you or not uh over here it's funny because in the u.s it's so much more uh serious but i think with barclays pinning their name to that to that sport is a great uh it's a great advert for how far the women's game has come um and i think not only that but it's got to, it's got to start flowing down to the grassroots level um you have got a lot of people uh, a lot of sports that are so old now and so grown that it's it's tough to really filter down to grassroots because there's so much bureaucracy and red tape and dicks that are at the top of the level. Um, but I think this this is a great opportunity to invest all the way down to the very bottom um, of the pyramid and set an example for what every single sport structure should be like in the future. Um, let's hope it happens. Let's see if it does. Um, but yeah, it's a huge opportunity for women's sport in general, for young girls um, and women moving up the ranks. And, you know, although personally it doesn't appeal to me, um, you know, it appeals to millions around the world, particularly here in the US, as I said, um, and the marketing and injection into the Albion's women's team um, that Brighton have done over the last couple of years is both A, a great opportunity for the community, um, because obviously there are a lot of people who will probably want to be involved and, you know, Everybody I know who was a girl that played football at school, um, the ones that didn't grow out of it wish they could have carried on going some point sometimes and they kind of just put her out on their own because there's not much more growth opportunity. But um, in this day and age, there is. And particularly in Brighton, you know, they're really pushing this. So I think it's a really good opportunity for the entire community. And frankly, from a business sense, uh, an even smarter push marketing-wise. Uh you know, with the U.S. women's national team being huge and trying to work for equal pay on the men's side um, and the English national team getting better and better, uh, you know, I think they just won a cup. Um, is it, I think it's the She Believes Cup, but that, I'm not sure if that's right. Um, but, that, I mean, it was seen as a pretty big win for the English national team. So there is no better time for Albion to put their mark on the global footprint of uh, women's football. Paul Barber ever the uh, ever the businessman knows where he's going with this stuff and he i know you know he's spent a lot of time in the US so um i think it was i think it's a very very smart move um for him to put his uh to put this money into their into their sport um and we'll see in terms of what the the Brighton women's team are doing um from what i can gather because this is new um you know they had to actually when they decided that the Women's Premier League was going to go professional last year, um, teams actually had to apply to stay in the division. Um, Brighton applied and they were granted access to the division. Um, big deal because they weren't in that division before. Uh, but again, with the amount of investment and how seriously they're taking it, they were given a spot. Um, I think the bottom two of the division will go down purely based on the past and the way teams have come up and down in the in the past uh, i think that may be the case however please do correct me if i'm wrong um because historically it looks like that but i may well be wrong because <laughs> i don't follow women's football um 
Brighton's women's team are currently third from bottom on 13 points. Uh, Everton are below them and have three games in hand on nine. So we'll see if we can stay up this year. Um, I believe if we stay up, we'll obviously stay fully professional. Um, if we do get relegated or if relegation is even a thing, I don't know what that really means for us. Um, the top three are Arsenal, Chelsea and City. Uh, similarly to the Premier League, they've invested a lot in their teams. Um and, you know, Arsenal ladies have always been a team that were towards the top end of everything ever since I knew anything about women's football. So they are they are obviously the top of the top of the tops. Um, I would love to get someone associated with the women's team on this podcast. Uh, I have no idea how I go about it. Um, you know, I sent an email to the club not long ago and never heard anything back. So that probably just shows how important I am. Um, but I would love to get someone, uh, like I said, anyone associated with the women's team on this podcast. I would love to have them on. I would love them to talk about it um, and really give everybody a uh, a who's who and a beginner's introduction into what the Albion's women's team looks like. So if anybody knows anybody uh, that has any kind of connection with the women's team, um, give me give me a, a contact and I will do the rest. Um so yeah, please, because I think it would be really cool, um, especially in the off-season, you know, when the summer comes around and we're struggling for things to talk about, uh, as opposed to like every other Albion fake rumour um, for transfers, I would love to have somebody on, um, especially during that time when people could really learn something new. So again, let me know. Um, story number three, um, England call-ups or lack thereof, um, and the international break in general, really. Um, Paul Nevin has been called back up to manage with England. Uh, great for him. Um, you know, it, it always helps to have some of Albion's coaches in the England setup. Um, he's there for both coaching staff for the Czech Republic and the Montenegro game. Um, you know, I think it's a really cool opportunity. Um, and I think it's a, what, the third time, second time he's been involved now with the setup for the Albion, uh, for England. Um, you know, he, he went up there with November in November for the US and Croatia, and now he's doing the same thing for the Euro qualifiers. Um, I think it's a heck of an honor for him, and, you know, keep it up, because it's just crazy to think how far we've came. Um, but no dunk. No Lewis dunk call-up this week. Um, on some parts of it, it seems bizarre, um, simply given who was called up. Uh, for example, Michael Keane, who looks like he's been past it for a while now um, and has been far, far below his best for a long time. Um, but at the same time, Albion did have one of the worst 2019 beginnings to 2019 at, like any team could have. You know, we didn't win until March. So if they're trying to base it on club form or anything like that, I can understand. But I do think it was a little bit harsh on him because, um, you know, he's he's still playing well. Um, so yeah, donkey, no call up. There was, uh, six call ups though. Uh, Leon Balogun, um, for Nigeria, for the Cup of Nations, African Cup of Nations qualifying, uh, Nigeria are actually already qualified. Um, they played the Seychelles, uh, prior to this podcast being recorded and Balogun did not play a part. So nice to see him get a rest. Um, I think Hutton was actually hoping he'd play, but he didn't. <laughs> um, Davy Proper. They played Belarus uh, before the podcast, and I can't remember who they play next. Uh, he was subbed on against Belarus, uh, and I, I have a theory that he probably may start the next one because he was subbed on this one. Um, 
But he, you know, he played a bit part. And honestly, with proper, I would probably prefer him to play less of a part simply because he's so important to us. Um, Baram Kayal. Now, Baram Kayal was a bit of a roller coaster ride on Friday because they played Slovenia. Israel played Slovenia. Um, and he picked up a knock. And he was actually uh, helped off of the field. Excuse me, just freshening up the voice. All right, so, yeah, he actually took a knock um, and was helped off of the pitch uh, against Slovenia. And, you know, there was a lot of worries because depth in midfield has been a problem all season. And we thought we were in big trouble. Um, And then last thing Friday night, uh, we get the word that he's expected to play Sunday and it wasn't anywhere near as as serious as expected. So, great. Uh, Kyle, we'll see if he plays today. Um, you know, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it and hopefully he does. Hopefully he plays a bit part, gets through it and we're all happy um, because he, although he's not played a huge amount of games in the Premier League, um, he's a vital depth piece um, and is one of the players that have played all the way through the FA Cup campaign. So hopefully he's okay um, and gets through it. Uh, Martin Montoya um, playing for Catalonia uh, against Venezuela. I'm not even sure when that game is played. It's a friendly. Um, for those of you wondering uh, who the hell are Catalonia, um, it's a part of Spain uh, that are fighting for their independence. Um, they are not wanting to be part of Spain anymore. Um, they want to be their own nation, recognized nation. Um, Martin Montoya is a part of that nation or that group of people fighting for it um and they're actually putting together their own team um and arranging friendlies against teams and you know for venezuela to agree to a game as a friendly is a shout at their own legitimacy um so good for martin uh, i hope he plays well i hope they have a good game um they have some pretty cool names still playing for them uh chavi barcelona legend chavi is in there uh, and there's a couple of them as well i, I think pk is also in there um but yeah, again, hopefully he gets through that unscathed. Uh, you know, the last thing we'd need for him is to get hurt during a friendly for something like this. But we'll see. Um, Bong. Gaetan Bong was also called up for Cameroon. Uh, play, they played uh, Comoros. Comoros. I have no idea how you pronounce that. Uh, but he was left uh, He was left back uh, on the bench. <laughs> um, here all week. Yeah, he, he was on the bench. He didn't get a game. Um... So, you know, whether you're a fan of Bong or uh, whatever, it doesn't particularly matter. Um, He didn't play, so he's got a rest, which is good, uh, because if Bernardo ever gets hurt, we need him. Um, So he did not play. Uh, And Shane Duffy. Shane Duffy played for the Republic of Ireland yesterday, Saturday, against Gibraltar uh, in their 1-0 win. Um, I'm a huge fan of Gibraltar, simply because their story is so fun. Um, they only got recognized by FIFA about two years ago. Uh, they're super fledgling in terms of their ability and everything. Um, and to hold Republic of Ireland to just a 1-0 win is really cool for them. Um, but Duffy was there. He kept a clean sheet. Job done. Uh, and off to Georgia on Tuesday. Uh, I believe that they're at home this time against Georgia. Um, and it will be a big one for him. Unfortunately, uh, he's going to be playing a huge part for the Republic of Ireland all the time because he's such a good player for them. Um, And it's unfortunate because, you know, we're going to need him fit for the next 8 million games we're going to play in April. Uh, So hopefully he doesn't get hurt on Tuesday. We shall see. Uh, Story number two. Uh, Wembley. 
Huge drama for the rush of tickets. Um, by the time you're hearing this, uh, bronze members are going to be able to have got in on the action. Um, and I believe on Tuesday, it's pretty much a free-for-all. Um, I think anybody who wants it will be able to get a ticket. Um, as of the time of recording, which is at 11.15 Eastern Time, um, there was around ten to 13,000 left um, by estimates. So you should all be fine if you want one. Uh, Norstan Chat has a fantastic thread um, in terms of how many tickets are left and people who are checking up on it on the regular. Um, for anybody who is extra nervous or on the last rungs of availability, um, I think that you will be fine. Um, there's, you know, BHASC Twitter has been blowing up with the amount of people posting their views from Wembley, um, how excited everybody is. And I think it's so funny because, you know, we've played at Wembley a couple of times already in the Premier League against Spurs and like it feels totally different, um, even for me who can't make it. Uh, like it, it doesn't feel like the same stadium because this is real now. And that's not to take any legitimacy away from Spurs, but... It's just this is this is what Wembley should be for, not a Premier League game against Tottenham. Um, and I think it's really cool. And I hope everybody who does want one gets one. Uh, like I said, I can't make it. There's no way I can make it after the amount of money I've spent on my own vacation lately. Um, and you know, I, I can't even make it to the final, even if I was to, get, even if I was to be able to afford it, because it's my wife's birthday on the same day as the cup final. So she's probably breathing a sigh of relief that we drew Manchester City, and the odds of winning it are probably incredibly low. Um, but I find it really interesting too, and I think it's worth talking about. Um, I made a post on North Stand Chat about it too. I find it really interesting. Um, when I was younger. Uh, in fact, no, not even when I was younger, because it happened last week. Um, whenever I've watched a game of football and there's an underdog uh, in terms of the FA Cup particularly, um, they always want the underdog to win. The commentary team always want the underdog to win. Um, and I, unless Albion are the, the favourite, I want the underdog to win um, because it's fun to see the upset. But what on earth has happened to turn Manchester City into this team that everybody wants to win is just beyond me. Um, it can't be the quadruple that everybody is like suddenly jumping on the bandwagon to hope they win because, you know, when Swansea would tune up last week, I've never seen so many people unhappy at the prospect of such a cool upset of Swansea City beating Manchester City um, and how happy... Most of the media were when City came back, despite the fact that it was the dodgiest comeback of all time. Um, you know, I thought it, I think it's really strange and I don't know where this, when or where this turnaround happened um, because everybody in the media, uh, for the absolute most part, were pro Millwall um, against us because they were the underdog. And I don't mind that because that's, you know, if I wasn't an Albion fan and I did not, mind Millwall I would want them to win too um because it's always fun seeing the worst teams get through as far as they can because it's a great story um but it seems like that applies to everybody as long as they're not playing against Liverpool or Man City and I get that they're a great side but like I don't I just don't understand it um the media are absolutely ragging on us right now they like we have no chance it's a absolute crush and you know it probably will be it pro they probably will beat us comfortably but 
I've never I've never just seen so much pro favorite commentary from any any other team. Uh, and it's bizarre to me that it's happening. So, you know, hopefully we can do the impossible. God knows how the media will react if we can dick them um, at Wembley of all places. So we'll see. Um, and story number one, uh, story number one is Southampton, obviously. Um, yes, we're in an FA Cup semi-final. Yes, the rush is on for tickets to Wembley. But we have a very important game before this on the 30th of March, and that is Southampton at home. Um, this game is as big as they come. Um, this trio of games of Huddersfield, Palace and Southampton are season defining. Um, we have absolutely turned up to the ball here um, in the first two and we need to see this march out and make it as good as it can be. Um, because if we beat Southampton, um, we are on 36 points. Southampton are below us, so it is essentially a six-pointer because we go six points clear of them uh, with seven games to go, um, and their run-in is not pretty. Um, you know, they after us, after the Albion game, Southampton have seven more fixtures to go, and they are at, they have got Liverpool Wolves, Newcastle Watford, Bournemouth West Ham, and Huddersfield. They have a couple of games they can win there, but not all of them are a gimme. So... If we can get those points on the board, it is huge. Um, now, it's funny because Southampton's home and away form aren't that different. Um, you know, they've scored a couple more games at home, but generally they're not that great anywhere. Um, away from home, uh, they've played 15 games and scored 15 goals. They're roughly scoring a goal of the game. Um, they're roughly averaging around 45% possession, so they're not a team that's kind of just going to sit back and do nothing. Um, you know, they, they come to play a game of football that they know how to play and they're up for it. Um, their discipline is rough. They have 25 yellow cards and a red card away from home. Um, you know, that's nowhere near as bad as their, nowhere near as bad as their home form, um, because they have two red cards and 34 yellows at home. So you would expect them to play a little bit less rough, uh, at the Amex. Um, and they have some big players that can cause us a lot of problems this, this week. You know, this, what, Saturday. Um, Nathan Redmond, I feel like whenever he's played against us, whether it's for Southampton or Norwich or anybody who's playing for, he always seems to cause us issues. Um, three goals, two assists. Uh, he's not going to be an easy play for us if he's fit and plays. Um, again, I haven't checked up on the Southampton squad lately, so if these players aren't going to play, great, <laughs> frankly, um, because these are the players that seem to cause us the most problems. Uh Hoiberg scored a goal against us earlier in the season, I believe. He was the one who banged in that absolute missile. Um, hopefully he doesn't play, or if he does, we can keep him quiet. Um, he's going to be an important one to keep quiet. Uh, obviously, Charlie Austin. Uh, I don't know if he's fit right now. I don't know if he's going to play. Um, hopefully he doesn't, because he causes us nothing but problems. Um, he's only scored two goals this season. No doubt he'll score one against us if he plays. So hopefully he doesn't come anywhere near the pitch. Um, and James Ward-Prowse is just starting to get games. Um, I'm hoping we can keep him quiet because he's a huge part of their threat right now. Um, their midfield duo are going to be this duo that we really have to keep quiet. Um, it is going to be vital to keep their midfield quiet because they're so... Their entire game depends on whether their centre midfielders are playing well. Um, you know, they take a lot of shots. They attempt crosses often. Uh... And they're aggressive. They're very aggressive. And 
it's funny because although they're an aggressive side, they can't score chances. Um, and actually, if you go into who scored, they give their characteristics for every team. Um, and their strengths are shooting from direct free kicks, uh, which is definitely something we have to be worried about because James Ward-Prowse is deadly on set pieces. Um, he has been since the beginning of time. We need to be really careful uh, not to give away stupid set pieces to Saints this weekend because if we do, they're going to have a better opportunity than most of scoring a goal um, because he is so deadly. Um and that's really what's been causing them to do well of late. And most most wins they're getting enough from set pieces. Um, creating long shot opportunities, we already know that because we've conceded one. Um, and they're actually, one of their strengths is creating scoring chances. Um, and one of their weaknesses is finishing scoring chances. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> that's something we need to be aware of. Um, and stealing the ball from the opposition is something they're very good at. And we are very poor at defending a counter-attack. Um, I haven't looked at Brighton's characteristics on this website's website for a while, so I'll go have a look at that after this. Um, but their weaknesses, uh, defending against attacks down the wings, uh, they have been prolific in being weak in that area. So if there is ever a day for uh, AJ or Noki or Izquierdo or March or whoever is going to roll up on those wings, it is this time. Let's do it. Let's hurt them. Let's scare the crap out of them. Uh, aerial duels they're also incredibly weak at fantastic news for us because we're incredibly good in the air uh, at the back so you know if they're going to create those scoring chances um, by putting in deadly crosses hopefully their finishing scoring chances are going to be weak because Duffy and Dunk are heading them all away um, they're also <coughs> their biggest weakness uh, is protecting a lead um, and, you know, we've seen that in the past because we drew 2-2 with them in the past. Um, and hopefully we can keep that as is because we don't want that to be something that comes and bites us on the butt. Um, Brighton's characteristics uh, I find quite funny. <laughs> we're also weak at protecting a lead. Um, we're awful at defending against skillful players uh, and against three balls, which pretty much is bang on because Duncan Duffy are poor at defending against three balls. Um we are really bad at avoiding fouling in dangerous areas. How funny, because this is stuff we've talked about on this podcast over the last couple of months. Um, giving away set pieces in dangerous areas, keeping possession of the ball, defending against balls in the counter-attack, defending against people like Jordan Ibe, um, and not being able to keep a lead. And they're all weaknesses that who scored have identified with us. So that makes very much a lot of sense. Um... Our style of play are interesting. Uh, we attempt crosses often. We play a lot of long balls. Uh, we have a very consistent first 11. Um, and we play in our own half, which does, I'm sure that's not a surprise to absolutely anybody. So that is what it is, I guess. Um, I think that for the first 11 uh, coming up, I think it's pretty pretty straightforward who we should have, I think personally um especially after the Millwall game um I think that Ryan obviously starts in goal um I think we have a back four that's consistent and probably our best back four we may have ever had um in Montoya Dunk Duffy and Bernardo um I think we play Solly March on the right after his performance against Millwall um it is hard to argue not to start him um on his favored right foot um he changed the game uh, he dragged us kicking and screaming into a semi-final. Um, Stolly March absolutely has earned himself a spot back over Anthony Knockart. He was phenomenal, and he has to start. I would be very disappointed if he doesn't. 
which is ironic, um, given the up and down season he's had. Uh, Sonny March on the right, proper and Bissouma in the middle, uh, probably Stevens too. Um, and then I would start Izquierdo on the left if he's fit and ready. Um, AJ hasn't really done much uh, in the Millwall game, and I think if Izquierdo is fit, a a width of March and Izquierdo could be absolutely deadly, um, especially against a team that are poor against teams that are strong on the flank. Uh, so it would be March, Bissouma, Stevens, Proper, and Izquierdo for me. Uh, and then obviously... Glenn Murray up top, he's at home, you know, he's better at the Amex than he is away from home anyway, um, and Andoni on the bench, hopefully he's ready to come on, um, and come on as a sub late on if we can't really get moving, um, and you know, if he keeps playing well and wins back his spot, then great, we have plenty of games in April, um, you know, rotation is going to have to be a must, because we have so many games coming up, um, it's going to be interesting to see what we do, we have what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in April. Um, we are going to have to rotate our squad, so keeping everybody fit is vital. Um, making sure these people don't get hurt on international break is vital. Um, you know, and that doesn't even include the Southampton game that's on the 30th of March. So uh, whatever happens, happens. Um, we've got a very busy April ahead of us. Uh, if we can get a win against Southampton... Um, and finish up on 36 points before coming into this marathon of games, it will be a huge, uh, huge boost to us. Um, 36 points uh, with Bournemouth at home, Cardiff at home, Newcastle at home. You would expect us to get some points there, regardless of how many you would expect us to get some. And if we can, you know we're safe. I think if if we can get to that 38, that's going to be the marker to make us safe. Um, so yeah, that's all from me this week uh let me know if you agreed with my top five stories of the week or not i can't believe we've gone 30 minutes uh but we have <laughs> um and this next month coming up is going to be a real real experience for me trying to get all these podcast episodes in <laughs> um, so i will be consuming all things albion um and we will start next weekend brighton at home to southampton huge six pointer let's get the win be safe. Enjoy your week.